0: It's 1600 in Sydney, 1400 in Tokyo, and 6 a.m. here in London. You're with Monocle 24, live from London. The Globalist starts
1: now. Good morning from Midori House here in London and welcome to this first edition of The Globalist here on Monocle 24.
0: Ten years ago on the 17th of October 2011, a red light with the word live flashed on for the first time in this leafy corner of Marlebone. It was episode one of The Globalist and our very first broadcast as Monocle 24.
2: All that plus our world weather forecast and our review of the papers from Seoul to Abu Dhabi right here on The Globalist on Monocle 24.
0: Monocle 24 launched with six hours of live news every day and additional programmes that spoke to these sections of Monocle magazine, culture, design, business, urbanism and food and drink. The mission was to create a news outlet that felt friendly, optimistic and most importantly, truly international. Since then, things have shifted slightly. Strands have come and gone, programmes have been shaped and reshaped but the focus has always stayed the same. Over the past decade, Monocle24 has created more than 60 different programs and podcasts, broadcast live from more than 35 cities around the globe, collaborated with a wide ranging list of brands like Rolex, Chanel, and Lufthansa, and we've even had our stings performed by one, Kylie Minogue.
3: L D N D N D T Y O N Y C N 2 4.
0: At the heart of the station has been coverage of news, great reportage and analysis. We've been on the ground for some of the biggest breaking news stories all around the world across the last 10 years.
4: Well, I'm a couple of blocks to the northeast of the Pulse nightclub. It's as close as we can get. There Along is a... with
5: the makeshift memorials near Bataclan and the other attack sites, it's in Republique where crowds of Parisians, tourists, international media and mourners alike have all gathered since the horror of Friday. Well, I'm afraid
3: we have to interrupt you there because we can go live to downing street in a giant democratic exercise perhaps the biggest in our history over
6: 33 million people from england scotland wales northern ireland and gibraltar
0: have all had their say but we've also escaped from the anglosphere and covered plenty of stories you won't hear about anywhere else
7: for Monaco, in Los Angeles, in Johannesburg, in New York, in Calgary, from Florence, in, in
5: Cairo, in Barcelona, in, in Wellington, in Toronto, in, in, in Dubai. Dubai.
7: For Monaco, in Sao Paulo. I'm Sheena Rossiter.
5: And throughout
0: our ten years on air, although we've never been anything less than serious about the work we do in the newsroom, we've always brought a light touch and a certain levity to our coverage. Hey.
5: Hey.
1: Hey. <laughs>
2: I think I need more (laughs) lessons (laughs) I think there's a lot of goats looking
6: for their master Um, You can hear them clanking up Chilton Street I wonder what was scratching at the door
2: (laughs) Okay, cool Going live Have a good show
0: Hello and welcome to The Briefing, coming to you live. Today we're celebrating 10 years of Monocle24 by speaking to the founders, producers, presenters and correspondents who've kept us on air since 2011 about their favourite moments. And we'll start with Monocle's editorial director and editor-in-chief, Tyler Brulé and Andrew Tuck.
3: London, New York, Tokyo. This is Monocle24.
0: Tyler, look, I'll, I'll, I'll throw it over to you, first of all. Um, I, I Probably some of our, you know, listeners and readers will be familiar with the, the origin story, I guess, of, of Monocle 24. Obviously, it lay in the, the Monocle Weekly podcast that would be going for, what, three or, I think, about three or four years prior. But take us back to, I guess it's what, the summer of 2011. What exactly was, um, you know, what were some of the conversations you had with Andrew and other editors at that time?
1: Well, Andrew was just rubbing his hands together because he, he couldn't wait at that time for a new project. He thought he had the magazine under his belt. He, he'd had it sort of mastered. We had we had a great team. He knew he'd always been hiring people, Tom, which had outstanding voices. So he was just ready to take on the World Service, NPR, Voice of America, whatever it was. But um, I think if you would have listened a little bit closer, you would have heard a lot of drilling and hammering and stapling of textiles, etc., because we had this idea and of course if we if we rewind 10 years ago this was not really the it wasn't really the dawn of social media but it was that next wave of what are you doing digitally and we'd been in a podcast space as as you said for about about 3 or 4 years at that point and and maybe just to rewind to that there was i guess that that I guess moment again when people were saying, "Well, what, what's your what's your digital strategy going to be? I can buy a Porter bag from you online, but you're really not doing a lot of other things beyond film and having, yeah, beyond having a traditional uh, website for for any any print outlet." And between me and and Andrew and Rob, we said, "Wouldn't it just be interesting that once a week we?" unpack some of the stories that were in the magazine. So I think, Andrew, if it's fair, I would say that if you look back to the, the origins of the Monocle Weekly, it was a little bit to shine in the light, use use it really as another type of a promotional um, vehicle to say what's in the magazine. But I guess it rapidly evolved into something rather different
2: yes that that first podcast, so we didn 't produce it here uh, in our offices well we weren 't in these offices at that time, but it wasn 't done in a monocle h q it was done at a private studios and it was actually a very nice moment it It kind of taught us very early on what happens in a studio because we stepped away from the editorial floor from the from the management team floor we we were in a separate space, and suddenly with the door shut and all of us around a mic with rob you know the the conversation would kind of take off. And we began to talk about books and music and all of these things in a way that was much more fluid and and, and off the cuff than you get when you do print journalism. And from the get go, I think we saw in audio something quite special that it, it humanizes your brand. It, it allows people to know who the team are and to understand how you're responding to events in a really interesting way so yeah so it was it was there it was there as a, a fun experiment at the time little did i know that mr Brule would go from doing like one hour a week which was fun to uh doing a, a 24-hour radio station in
1: in, in one foul move which is more fun, is what you're saying? Yes, exactly. <laughs> I, I was very, very happy that you made that decision, Tyler. It was an extraordinary jump, and Android I can remember when we went and did a sort of we did went and did a run through at, at one point. It was to program what sort of two hours of a morning show would sound like as as one of the original pilots we had gainer Howells was involved i think we had sean lloyd the weather presenter there was a lot of really interesting things that we developed around uh, around the pilot which then paved the way to the partners that we brought in for launch and to uh, g- g- well gave us the confidence to 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 launch this thing
0: well yeah and tyler i just want to ask you a little bit about that because you name checked a couple of the big public service broadcasters who you know, I guess Monocle 24 sort of went after in inverted commas certainly in terms of ambition and authority and reach, but there was also, again, as you've alluded to, this this idea to integrate in a very seamless and elegant way, you know, commercial partners because things have to wash their own wash their own faces. Were you concerned about how to do that elegantly, or did you always feel that it sort of made sense? And you know, in a way, the experience of the print magazine had had demonstrated how great editorial and great brands could be happy bedfellows.
1: Tom elegance is never a problem with me so <laughs> that that bit that, that bit was 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 really um it wasn't easy but of course there just seemed to be a desire at that time uh, because people were looking at podcasts and I think they were seeing that you could and maybe monocle and and, and other media brands as well were a good example of of course doing interesting partnerships where there, there seemed to be a like-minded affiliation which as you said and you use the word public broadcasting how could you have and this was really very very much part of our mantra and I think we still deliver on this how could we have a public service sound? Could we sound a little bit like, um, yeah, I mean, whether it's France Inter or, or, or uh, you know, uh, Deutschlandfunk Radio Kultur or uh, various radio. I mean, you know, any any of these outlets. Could we have that type of sound? But also, of course, not relying on on the the public purse, uh, but to of course work with those partners. And I think we've, yeah, I, I I really believe that we've charted quite an interesting course over this this last decade in terms of the types of partners that we've, we've brought into the mix.
0: We'll hear more from Tyler and Andrew later in the programme, but let's now turn to some of our long-time contributors, from correspondents to presenters who've been reporting for Monocle 24 for most of the past decade. They've been recalling some of their favourite memories, from meeting canine plastic surgeons, that's plastic surgeons for dogs, to finding yourself wielding a microphone in a cave, to the infamous Monocle parties.
4: I'm Thomas Lewis and I'm Monocles Toronto Bureau Chief. Looking after the the radio operation in Toronto has been a pretty magic time really because like lots of Monocle's output we do get to dip our toes into lots of different areas and to get uh, grabbed by lots of different stories and it's been really wonderful via radio to get to know a big array of people here in Toronto that are shaping this city.
3: We also bring praise to all of the Canadian talents that we have as well.
4: I'm obviously influenced by my city, by what I see around me. I do personally feel very lucky to have been able to speak to such a huge array of people from a variety of fields. So I suppose my most nerve-wracking interview was speaking to Jane Fonda during the pandemic on the release of her new book. Um, I guess I am someone who is maybe a little bit starstruck sometimes, but this felt like on a, on a different level. Uh, but it's quite a quite a good challenge that, uh, to be able to sort of compose yourself, to take a deep breath and actually connect with someone, no matter how famous they are, to just take a breath and have a conversation with them, person to person. And there's a, there's a real magic to that for me still
7: a lot of young people are giving up their dreams to work on the climate crisis i find it so touching and you know they're the ones that were saying for a number of years where are you older people you know you've got to step up to the plate or we're going to behave like the damn adults
4: Well, I remember in in 2016, uh, I was covering the US presidential election with my then colleague in New York, Ed Stocker. And Ed had been loosely covering the Trump campaign. I'd been very loosely covering the Hillary Clinton campaign. And I remember we were in New York on election night and I'd been to a Hillary Clinton watch party in the Lower East Side of the city. And very quickly, it looked as though... Hillary Clinton wasn't going to win, and that Donald Trump was, and the mood within the bar just changed really dramatically and very quickly. Uh, I remember seeing people crying, the mood became incredibly sombre. I remember jumping on the phone with Ed and saying, crikey, you know, this isn't quite what we expected to happen, what shall we do? So Ed sort of ran to the bureau, this must have been getting close to midnight, and I thought, well, I'll go to Times Square just to see if, if, you know, what's happening there. Um, so I remember getting out of the cab and it was silent. I remember thinking, oh, wow, crikey, everyone's, everyone's gone home, everyone's as shocked as, as we are. But I remember turning the corner and going into Times Square and it was absolutely packed, shoulder to shoulder, uh, people staring up at the huge illuminated screens that were very occasionally showing the updates of the votes as they were coming in. And it felt so surreal being in a huge public space, absolutely full of people, but not really a sound to be heard anywhere. There were people on their phones watching live streams or personal ones, people sort of waiting for the updates to come on the big billboards above us all. And I remember staying there for a few hours and then trying to to find an internet connection somewhere so that I could broadcast live to the to the globalist that morning just to try and convey some of the sense of shock. Uh, which I think was really compounded for me just by the sort of silence of this huge space. Uh, and people really not understanding what it meant or being surprised by uh, what appeared to be unfolding before them. I'm in Times Square and it's extraordinarily busy, uh, but it's very subdued. People are sort of sitting on the pavements, wandering around, looking at the big screens, which are sort of occasionally updating us on the latest. Uh, we can see two four five for Trump now of the electoral college votes. Clinton on two one eight. Uh, but it is a it's a rather sort of sombre. Um atmosphere with a lot of people talking about the the brexit effect here um, and just sort of scratching their heads really. I mean a lot of people are saying, well look, this isn't over yet, but I think realistically a lot of people are coming to terms uh, with what uh, a trump presidency might look like.
8: Hello, I'm Georgina Godwin and I am books editor for monocle twenty four. In terms of memorable stories here, there have been so many. I mean, who could forget James Elroy putting his feet up on the studio table and reciting a ditty about the length of his member. Uh, That's got to be a standout for me.
1: Woof woof, hear the demon dog bark. He's got a 12-inch wanger that glows in the dark.
8: And it's the, the wonderful sense of being on top of current affairs, of, of feeling that every single day you learn something new uh, and that you have this wonderful team of producers and researchers behind you. And together you come up with the, with the absolute sort of breaking line of whatever it is.
3: Live from London, this is The Globalist. I'm Emma Nelson and a very warm welcome to today's programme. Coming up... Hello there, I'm Emma Nelson and I've been a presenter at Monocle 24 since just before day one. One of the most memorable moments I experienced behind the microphone at Monocle 24 was the morning after the Brexit vote. I don't think it's any great secret to know that Monocle is a company which enjoys borders to be open and barriers to be down. And when we were aware of what was going on, I had written two lots of notes for a Remain vote and a a Brexit vote. And I was in tears as I was looking at the questions I, I could have asked for Remain. In front of me in the studio, Quentin Peel, formerly of the Financial Times and of Chatham House, one of the world's leading experts on Europe, and also our former foreign editor, Steve Bloomfield. And everybody, I think, felt totally in shock that morning because not only were we entering a new era when it came to the United Kingdom's relationship with the rest of the world, most of the people we were working with at Monocle 24 were EU nationals. And so it felt really, really close to home. You're listening to Monocle 24. We have a special programme on the UK exit from the European Union. Steve Bloomfield 12 hours ago, the UK was part of the EU and it had a prime minister. Things have changed. And I remember we went on beyond the natural end of the globalist because we just couldn't quite process what we were experiencing. And this funk descended over Monocle for about a week or two. And then they held a party. And I've never seen A canteen floor turn more rapidly and enthusiastically into a dance floor. I think everybody let off steam and everybody worked out at that point that, okay, it was going to be bumpy, but Monocle wasn't going anywhere. I've always said that Monocle 24 is a kind of radio station that deals with serious issues, but does it with a very light touch. It's a little bit like having the world's most important voices speaking just slightly with the top button undone. And as a result, we have this nimbleness. We're not bogged down by an enormous number of editors or bureaucracy. We can do and cover whatever we want at speed because we've worked out that all you need is about five or six really enthusiastic, sharp and talented people sitting together in a room and we can do anything.
7: I'm Sheena Rossiter and I've been reporting with Monocle24 since its inception 10 years ago. I started out as the film and radio correspondent in Sao Paulo, then I moved to Rio de Janeiro where I was the correspondent there. Now I'm a contributing editor and I'm based in Edmonton, Canada where I primarily report on Western Canada. I've had the opportunity to do so many incredible stories for Monocle 24 over the years, namely all these wonderful stories I got to do for the urbanists about the changes in the urban landscape that happened in Rio de Janeiro in the lead up to the 2014 World Cup and the 2016 Summer Olympic Games. But well, one of my most memorable stories that I got to do, and one of the very monocle stories I got to do, was in Sao Paulo about the rise in dog businesses. So for that, I got to interview a dog nanny, a dog dentist, but something even more bizarre was I got to interview a dog plastic surgeon. Now that was something. <laughs> hey, hey. Dr. Brito knows full well what it's like to have to have a perfect-looking dog. Being a breeder of Doberman Pinschers himself, he takes me around to the back of his clinic to show me his pack of nine Doberman Pinschers, one of which has been a world champion. He explains ear reconstruction is the most popular surgery at his clinic, with most dog owners getting the procedure done on their dogs to make their ears perfectly straight and symmetrical.
8: It's very common, the injuries in the ears,
7: because it's a place for dog.
6: I'm Guy Delaunay, Monocle's man in the Balkans. I've been contributing to Monocle24 since it started, as well as presenting programs like The Globalist and The Daily whenever I'm back in London. I was based in Cambodia's capital Phnom Penh when Monocle 24 first went on air, reporting about floods for the daily, Phnom Penh's ad-hoc public transport system for the urbanist, and the long-awaited return of cinemas showing Hollywood films for the culture show. Nine years ago I moved to Belgrade and carried on contributing from the Balkans. In news terms, there's been everything from riots in Sarajevo to North Macedonia's new name via the European refugee crisis of 2015, but it's been an absolute delight to report for Monocle24's specialist strands on culture, food and drink, urbanism and design. And that's how I found myself deep in a Slovenian cave at midnight, with an international gaggle of worryingly refreshed architects and designers. It was all part of a particularly mind-bending edition of the Ljubljana Biennial of Design, and as we stumbled over rocks and reeled under a bombardment of sound and lasers, it struck me that I wouldn't be doing this for anyone other than Monocle 24, I'm not entirely sure it's a brilliant idea to bring dozens of people who've been drinking in some cases quite heavily into the bowels of a system of caverns with stalactites and stalactites that can break open your head
9: <laughs>
6: in the middle of the night. Hey Simone, you're trying to kill us, mate.
10: Yes, that's a plan. <laughs> my name is Alexei Korolev, and I've been reporting for Monocle 24 for a long time now, for about eight years, I think. And I've reported from places as diverse and far apart as Sweden, Russia, and Armenia. But my permanent base is in Vienna, in Austria. The highlights have been many, and many of them are dear to my heart. Thanks to Monocle24, I've spoken to a bewildering range of people from presidents, prime ministers, mayors to hardcore right-wing groups to wonderful entrepreneurs and visionary artists and designers to public toilet owners. All right, here it is. Opera WC, Opera Toilet. The name written in blue neon, but the entrance coming inside, not so pretty inside really. All right, there's a turnstile here. How much do they charge? 70 cent. And you hear that? The good old blue denim coming out of the speakers on a constant loop. So it's been quite a ride for me. So here's
0: to 10 years of Monocle 24 and to many, many more years to come. Behind the scenes, we have a team of producers who've kept Monocle 24 on air all this time. Three of our producers, indeed, have been with us since the very beginning. They are Marco Sippi, Fernando Gustavo and Holly Fisher. Marcus, Fernando and Holly sat down together to reflect on the past 10 years.
9: I think one of the reasons why it feels like time has passed so quickly is that we've been doing so much. Like When you think about that, that I, I hate using the term journey, but we, we've had quite a journey, quite a few trips. When you think about all the stuff we've been doing in the last 10 years, it, it's been amazing. I'm thinking about some of the favourite things I, I've done. It was quite early on. When I joined Monocle, when when Tyler asked me to fly to Canada to go to Thunder Bay to do a report for the magazine and for the radio station about the biggest Finnish community outside of the Nordic region in Thunder Bay. And obviously, this is one of those places I had absolutely no connections to Thunder Bay. I I, I barely knew the place. And, and then I was in the plane going there to meet other Finns. It was so strange speaking Finnish over there, reporting about that place. That was such a... Such a funny community. In a way, it's, it always reminded me of, of the Finland of my childhood. It was like a time capsule over there in, 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 in North America. I think I have to mention the Nordic tour I produced and partly presented. We, we released an, a Scandinavia or Nordic region-themed edition of Monocle magazine and we did all four Nordic capitals. We didn't do Reykjavik that time, but we did... Stockholm first, then Oslo, then Copenhagen, and then Helsinki. We did those cities in four days. So we would produce and present the midday show, the briefing from each of those places. So we would fly early in the morning to the city, set up the broadcasting equipment ready for the midday show. We would do the show, and then in the evening we would have a party. And we did that four times in a row. You can imagine... That thing, no, staying up till till midnight, past midnight, going back to the hotel room, waking up four or five hours later to catch a taxi to go to the airport, to fly to the next city, and then doing the whole thing again. It was, it was quite intense, but it was so rewarding. Obviously, I'm from that region, and, and, and I think, how many people are there in the world who have done four capitals in four days
5: in Scandinavia? One good thing about Monaco is that you know, we all have topics that we love. And I think here we have quite a lot of freedom to pursue them. Uh, you know, I know you do Monaco and Culture. I mean, you interview amazing people. It's an excellent show that's been on air for 10 years as well. For me, it's Eurovision. I think, you know, that I visited six capitals since 2013. I went to Malmö, Copenhagen, Vienna, Stockholm, Kiev, uh, Tel Aviv. And that's fascinating because... I, uh, since from a young age, I loved Eurovision. For me, it was very exotic, very European. And to go there and interview the artist. And I know Monaco is very keen, not only because it's a fun event, but also it's a little bit geopolitical as well. It has its consequences. So, for example, when I went uh, to Kiev, I interviewed Vitali Klitschko, the mayor, who is a, also, you know, a very famous former boxer. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's huge. He's like uh, almost seven foot tall. But, uh, you know, it was quite interesting to talk to him about what does he mean to Kiev So, yeah, uh, you can mix work and pleasure.
8: I just think about the trips that I've done where I've, you know, I got given a round-the-world plane ticket and I flew from New York to Chicago to Honolulu to Thailand to do various different things. You know, I was in Chicago writing a travel guide and then I was in Honolulu doing a road trip for (laughs) Audi. And then, you know, a trip to Japan where I was recording interviews with Pharrell and Sofia Coppola one day and then at a big party for Chanel that night and then the next day jumping on a train and going to very rural Japan to go and hang out with some Tanzanian athletes in Yamagata prefecture. You know, you just do so many mad things that you would never have even considered might have been in your career path when you sort of set out to be a producer or a journalist. Do you guys remember the, those kind of early days when we launched the station? It was very busy. I feel like we got to know each other very quickly. I'm,
9: I'm trying to remember the first days. It was so busy that I feel like it was it was so intense. I feel like I was I was working all the time. Obviously, it's quite complicated if you go and launch an international radio station that's 24 seven. So for, <laughs> for a reason, we were rather busy. Um, I think there was a lot of young energy as well, because we hired so many young people at the same time. There was an amazing energy in the building, and there still is. but I think it was just like we were in the same same boat and we kind of like worked for the same goal and that brought us very close to each other and I still feel like I still feel like the original team there are a few people over here, and I think we still have this special bond. We have those shared memories of of what it all was like in the beginning it was it was very busy it was very exciting and it's interesting. I haven't really listened to that many
5: old shows. But when I listen to them, it brings me so many memories back. One thing, as as you know, I never worked with radio before. Uh, so, you know, when I visited studios, I thought it was a common place, just a beautiful, cozy radio studio. But I think I discovered it's quite unique. I think guests, when they come here, they feel comfortable. We do receive emails from listeners and we say, come and visit us in the office. We'll give you a tour Every day, you know, even now, you know, now the things are reopening again. People love it. They love to Mm -hmm. feel part of the world and they really enjoy our work. It's really satisfying, actually, that aspect.
8: That's so true. In fact, just two days ago, Andrew Tuck, our editor-in-chief, was um, showing one of our listeners who'd come over from Peru, um, was showing him around the office and it was just really nice to meet someone. He said he was teaching his son. Um, How to speak English by listening to the briefing. That's amazing.
5: (laughs) I learned how to speak Welsh on the briefing. I mean, (laughs) do you still remember those lessons? I mean. Actually, you know, maybe not. Maybe Maybe. not. It it is a harsh language. But I think I should ask Thomas Lewis here to kind of teach me again as well. But guys, another thing, I mean, the people we've met, I mean, Mm. Marcus, Holly, I mean, you spoke to amazing people. And who would guess I've, I've had an interview with the Brazilian former president Dilma Rousseff. I went to Paris to see Amanda Lear. It's just incredible people. I mean, film directors of your favourite films, it, it, it feels like a dream almost, you know. I think we... I and, and people respect the brand, you know. I think Monaco is a very respected and that's why we managed to speak to those names as well. They respect the work we do.
8: But it's not just the the big names that we've it's, met. I just think it's the, the people that come... I don't know how they do it, but Monaco employs really great people from all over the world. And I just think whenever I go anywhere in the world now, I know somebody who's there or someone who can tell me about the place before I go and I would say even if I had never travelled with this job the amount of people I've met from different cultures, different places has expanded my world so much
9: look at us three i mean mm. i'm a british passport holder nowadays but I've of course i've also got my Finnish passport that's where i was born <laughs> finland fernando brazil you are from england how many other workplaces are there that are this international i think we've grown more confident i think we know what we're doing and it's it's become very natural to to use our bureau to use our correspondent network and I think it's always, you know, I really, really appreciate that that we do have staff members working around the world. We have many people we know and, and it's 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 quite natural for me to come to the office in the morning, plan Army Deshow for example, and then start making phone calls all over the world, call Japan, call Australia, call Turkey, call the Nordic region. And it's like it's just a very special way of working. And it's like I was working in Finland and I barely made any phone calls abroad. It was always something about what was happening in the Finnish restructuring of the Finnish pension system. So I, I think after that, like it's it's amazing working <laughs> working in a place like like this
5: and 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 just follow what's happening around the world. You know what sets us apart, besides as Marco said, how international we are. I think that we, that's amazing. I think we are in our coverage. I mean, optimistic without being glib as well. And I think when you look at the media, I mean it feels depressing. I think Monaco's look at places where there are opportunities, but in a nice way, we we, we know that there are problems in the world, but I think we like to give a sense of hope to people, you know, for them to open a business, to watch something interesting, even in difficult countries, you know, and I am from Brazil, which is going through a very difficult phase, but, you know, there are always interesting stories to be told about a country and they don't don't necessarily need to be about tragedies, even though we have to cover those as well. Uh, But I think, Monaco has this optimistic sense, which I really like and I identify with.
0: Now looking ahead, what does the future hold for Monocle 24? Here were some final thoughts are Andrew Tuck and Tyler Brulé.
2: There are things that we've dipped our toes into, and, and I think we've all wondered about how we, we we do them in the future, which are fiction, uh, you know, drama, and how that could come to life in a, a Monocle Twenty Four way. I think the role of documentary, you know, we're in a very new space. We're on on these weekly cycles, but you know, do we? as in the magazine where we've started moving towards some longer reads do we have some seasons you know do we do a summer season where in fact there is a documentary series that runs on Monocle 24 and i think the other interesting thing is you know that it's it's just fascinating to see how you and Tyler especially have brought together with the commercial team these great sponsors who understand audio and i think just as the same in the magazine when you have great Sponsored content done with a partner who understands a brand—you can produce something there that's really interesting. I think actually some of the, the sponsored work that you've done has been pretty amazing as well, and and bringing to life brands in ways that perhaps they, even they didn't know was going to be possible.
0: Well, and Tyler, it's it's a kind of an easy metaphor, isn't it, to say giving giving voice to a brand when you when you're talking about audio? But do you, do you feel that Monocle Twenty Four has has achieved what you set out to do? You know, back in 2011, and 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 how might that kind of evolution continue? I don't know. For the next ten years.
1: Well, listen. You know that I'm uh, I'm always one to push things uh, forward, and very proud of, of course, what what we've what we've done from you know, and what we've delivered as a pretty small player, probably the the smallest of the the pan regional players, certainly the smallest of, of the of the pan regional players. And I say that, of course, because. We do compete with Bloomberg. We compete with the BBC and, and 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 CNN and a number of outlets, not just you know not just for listenership and audience, but also commercially as well. And I say the BBC because, of course, there's you know outside of a domestic context, I mean, BBC the BBC is is a, is a commercial operation in many ways. But of course, we're we're the tiny player in in the mix. So, I, you know, certainly we want to be live in more places. Um, that just doesn't mean Tom. That we're just going out on on the road um, and doing outside broadcasts, but you know, we we have a setup in in Los Angeles, and, and as Andrew said, and, and as you you know highlighted as well, of course, as the world opens back up, how how does that get staffed up properly? How are you able to tell the pop culture story, the political story, not just out of Los Angeles, but looking out across the the Pacific um, a, as well? So I think that's one thing that we're very keen on. Andrew will certainly know um, from the last maybe 48, 72 hours before we uh, went around the mics to ha- to have this discussion. We're not just going to be looking out across uh, the Pacific, Tom, we're also going to be looking out probably across the Atlantic as well and looking south to, to Africa. Uh, and, um, and we have a few ideas about a new bureau that we're we're looking at at the moment and i'm i'm actually doing i'm looking at tiles at the moment um, <laughs> to figure out uh, yeah how, how we should do the hallways but we can't do studios out of tile as we know but a small hint this country's also very good at cork very useful for a radio studio <laughs>
0: uh, tyler always good to hear from you thanks very much for uh, i don't know looking back looking around and looking forwards
3: l d n d t y o n y c n 2 4 You've
0: been listening to a very special edition of the Monocle Weekly, produced by Holly Fisher and presented by me, Tom Edwards. Remember, you can listen to our full archive at monocle.com forward slash radio. Don't forget to subscribe to all your favourite programmes. Before I leave you, dear listeners, I want to say a huge thank you, lastly, to you and everyone who's tuned in to Monocle 24 over its first decade. And here's to the next 10
3: years of great audio. NYC to four.